if you're listening to these services outside of these walls, you're listening to the services of the Broomfield Baptist Church. And this is the pastor bringing the Sunday morning message, the first Sunday morning of the year 2020 here at Broomfield Baptist Church. And we continue our studies together looking at the mission discourse that Christ gave. I think this is fitting for all that we've already discussed today. I invite you to join me in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter number 10. Matthew chapter number 10. I want to read, uh, it was hard to pick which verses really to set our eyes on. We're going to look at the whole chapter in an overview is my intent this morning. But to set our focus on where we're headed, I would draw your attention down to verse number 32. Jesus Christ says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Look down at verse number 38. Jesus continues and he says, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time here. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that shows us, that teaches us. I pray, Lord, that you would give me your unction. I'm needy, Lord. I have, I have not wherewith within myself to give your people. But, Lord, I know and I have conviction and faith that as you've sent me forth to feed the flock that's among me, you'll do just that. Let me be your vessel, Lord. I pray that you would minister through me, that I would just be a channel of the Holy Spirit, that whatever you would want is what would take precedent. And Lord, I pray that you would guard my words, set a watch over my mouth. I pray, Lord, that I would be emptied of myself and filled with the Holy Spirit, that I can bless your people with your word and equip them. And Father, thank you for our Savior and his example. Thank you for these words that he gave his disciples and apostles. May we understand the way that we need to this morning. May we not misinterpret your word. May it help us and aid us as we make application in our own service for you. And Lord, may it strengthen and stir our faith and hope in your coming kingdom. And Lord, I pray, even so come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter number 10. Yes, that's a big gap between Matthew 10 and Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where we left off. We've got a couple of chapters that we haven't covered. Let me explain why. Some time ago, I endeavored on a journey with you, and you were kind enough to join me like you had a choice. Amen. You'll get that in a minute. Uh, no, I, I prayed, and I believe this is where God would have us to spend our time and our focus. Traditionally, you know, I would sit down with a book of the Bible, as I do, and I'm doing even right now, for those who are with us on Wednesday nights. And I, 
go verse by verse through that book and we exposit that book and we apply that book to our lives. And so I took a different approach, not necessarily a book by book approach, but I wanted to uh, get, a, get a structure of the New Testament. And so I began where I thought was logical to begin. If we're going to understand the, the basic structure and foundation of our New Testament that we live by, then we, got, we have to start with the Savior. Amen. We have to know Him and, and who He is. And just for brevity and sake of time and, and practicality more than anything, I mean, if, if we had time and I had four hours a week to preach to you and you could listen to me that long and we could just take our time and the Lord would give me about 300 years to live, uh, we might make it verse by verse, jot, by, jot and tittle by tittle through every minutia of all the New Testament. But to expedite and to make it palatable as best as I can, I wanted to look at our Savior and we began a year ago this past Christmas. I can't believe that. Where does the time go? A year ago this past Christmas, we started looking at our Savior. And we considered how he was God manifest in the flesh, that he was 100% human. And we looked at his ministry, and we began that journey all the way back then. And we followed his birth and saw his incarnation, the virgin birth, and we, we really came to know our Savior in a profound way, I think, I did. And then as we continued that journey, we came to the part where we started looking at his, his different aspects of ministry. And you journeyed with me as we considered the miracles of Christ and what he did for those while he was on this earth. And we considered case by case, and we looked at each one of those case studies that validates that he is God manifest in the flesh. And we saw how he, he healed the sick and he made the blind to see, and he raised the dead, and made the lame to walk, and fulfilled the prophesied gospel news. What a powerful Savior. As he went about doing ministry, healing, and, and performing miracles, validating that he's the Son of God, our Savior also taught much, and instructed, and, and people would flock to his feet, to listen and, and to glean what they could from his instruction. One day he was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he called some disciples and said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And then we read in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 where Matthew recalls that Jesus Christ went up into this mountain and he sat. His disciples that he had called came to him and others were within earshot. The multitudes were right there too. And as he sat, he taught them. And we looked at that message that he gave. What a profound message. What a powerful message. That helps us as believers to know how to walk with Christ. And also informs us on some things that we should expect as we follow him. To lead that blessed life. So as Jesus continues his discourses, I just thought it was logical to stay with Matthew for a little while longer. Look at his second discourse. So just as is important as the so-called Sermon on the Mount would be for ministry in the life of his disciples that are following him, so also Matthew chapter number 10 is going to be vital instruction for them. I have to remind you to keep the context 
in purview. Context is king. If we rest these verses, if we treat them in a, in a casual way and, and we try to take verses where they don't belong and, and force them into life, we can really do some damage to theology, to, uh, to doctrine, to practice. So I would urge you with caution as you read Matthew chapter number 10, remember who spoke. Remember to whom he spake. And then consider the ministry afterwards. As the New Testament unfolded, how did the things Jesus will say in Matthew 10, how did that come to light as they followed their Lord? This is the record that we have. Now, there are things that we will glean by way of application, and I trust that you will. That you'll do just that, that the Holy Spirit, you'll be sensitive to him, that when he shows you something, you'll hang on that and you'll meditate on that. And you'll have to say, I need to understand that better. And it'll change your life if you do. But Matthew chapter number 10 must be handled with care. And we must consider the context. Jesus, it says in verse uh, number one here, we get a little bit of a backdrop. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples. So again, back to the Sermon on the Mount. How did that one fall out? Jesus went up into a mountain, and they came of their own volition. He sat and he taught them, saying, now here they've been walking with the Lord, and Jesus pulls them aside of his volition and of his will, and Jesus says, basically, I need to instruct you on some things. I'm going to send you out with authority. I have a mission for you to accomplish. I have something that you need to do. I'm handing this spinning plate to you. Now you see why I said it would be fitting, I think, to be in Matthew chapter number 10. As he did for his disciples, so we do in the church, and we, we say many hands make light work. Now, they're going to be equipped for the work of the ministry that Jesus has called them to do. But note that he called them aside to give them specific instructions on what they should expect and how they should move forward and what they could do for him if they would follow. All 12 of them. Yes, even that one. All 12 got to serve and participate in this aspect of ministry. One of the first things that really grabbed me as I read this passage was that verse, the first verse here that we said, we, we read, it said that he called unto him his disciples. And then in the next statement, we read that there's a list of his apostles, disciples that became apostles. Now, there were many disciples. We read of 120 in one place and Read of those that follow the Lord. A disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And so anywhere you see that, you see you can be a disciple. We have disciples of Christ today in our church. Um, and so they are followers of Jesus and they love Jesus, but they're not part of the 12. These are a select group that Jesus will ordain as apostles. And the word apostello means to send out with commission, with authority. And so these 12 he will send out with authority to accomplish the mission that he informs them of here in chapter number 10. There are 50, 
two, uh, verse 42 verses here in this chapter. Matthew chapter number 10, there are 42 verses. And so as we approach it, I do want to break it down one, one passage at a time, but let's get the overall message. Let's get the overall thrust of what Jesus is telling them. I, I trust that today will be a help to you to see that bigger bird's eye view of this message. Just as we did with the Sermon on the Mount, we looked at chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7. We saw the overview, and then we looked at each individual passage. We do so here with Matthew chapter number 10 as well. Jesus is going to delegate authority to his followers. Let's begin in verse number 1. And when he had <laughs> called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You see the disciples listed there. They receive power, exousia. They receive authority over. Now, the against is supplied. It's an interesting construction here. I don't want to take time to do it now because we're going to look at it later, but just pay, pay attention to that. Note that the against is a, is a preposition that is supplied, and, um, and it's just it's interesting. It is against these unclean spirits. That tells me at the outset that what Jesus is sending them into is spiritual warfare. <coughs> we have a real enemy. And while it's all nice and fine to think about how I'm going to serve Jesus this year, I would be remiss if I didn't inform you the moment you set your hand to the plow is the moment you are going to invite spiritual warfare in your life like you've never seen. I speak from personal experience. I have never seen such spiritual oppression in my life. I'm not that old, okay, I understand that, but these, you know, these four decades that the Lord has allowed me to, to be on his earth, thank you, Lord, these four decades that I've been here, I've never seen anything like I saw when I decided and I prayed and I committed my life and I said, Lord, I surrender my life to preach the gospel to the inhabitants of Broomfield. From that day, I'll tell you, it's like the floodgates opened. And I saw spiritual oppression like I had not seen before. I don't want to scare you away. Hey, look, I mean, okay, this is the part where I kill over dead, right? No, I'm just kidding. With God's grace, that won't happen. I'm okay. I'm blessed. I wouldn't have it any other way. If I would have said no to the Lord when I knew he was calling me, if I would have stopped and said, you know, there's things that, you know, I've got this plan that I'm working for my family. I've, I've got this job that, well, you gave it to me, Lord. And if I would have, you know, gone any other direction, I don't know where I would be. Maybe I would have been better off, but probably not. Because I would live the rest of my life with remorse, having to pillow my head each night with the thought, I said no to him. What did I miss? Who's not going to be in heaven because I said no to him? I mean, these are things that I'm just being open and transparent with you. I'm so thankful that when he called, I answered. And I just said, Lord, I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't know. 
I don't know how to do this. I believe he would help me and provide for me and supply for me, and he has. And he has had his hand on on me in, in ways that I can't even describe. And there are others who can testify to this too. I'm giving you a little bit of a personal testimony here. Jesus gave them power against unclean spirits. There is a spiritual warfare in which we engage as we serve the Lord. We have to understand we're in the devil's territory. We're not in the kingdom yet. We're not in heaven yet. And we have a very real enemy who will try to thwart what you'll do for God at every chance he can. Whether it's him or his minions or, or just the world, the flesh or the devil, we have enemies. But we also have the victor on our side. I don't have to worry about the devil. Now, I, I pray against him. And uh, he's more faithful than any church member you'll ever meet. He's the most faithful church member, you know, as the pastor used to say. He's the most faithful church member out of everyone. He's here every time the doors are open, whether we're here or not. Always looking for ways to put a monkey wrench in somewhere or mess something up over here or to get somebody to gossip over there or tear the doctrine down over here or compromise the music over there or do this over there. And I, you always have to be on your guard. One of the challenges of, a, of a, an under-shepherd a pastor is to guard and set a watch over the flock. And I take that role very seriously, very seriously. Because it only takes one compromise that leads to another compromise and another compromise. And before you know it, you look back and you wonder, how did I get here? Well, I started sliding. That's how I got here. It just kept going. It takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and you pay more than you ever want to pay. I learned that from a good preacher back in Georgia growing up too when I first got saved. Amen? And so as he sends them out, now the names of the 12 what? The 12 apostles are these. The first, that's interesting. We'll talk about that later too, hopefully. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebeus, whose surname was Thaddeus. That needs to be in your Bible, by the way, whose surname was Thaddeus. Just check your translation. If it's not there, come see me after. I'll explain why. It just it needs to be there. Okay. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. I'm looking forward to getting into this list of apostles and studying them out and uh, sharing those findings with you. Very interesting stuff. These 12, Jesus, note this, sent forth. They go forth. And as they went forth, he commanded them. That's a strong word. So Jesus delegates authority to the apostles so that they can continue his work. Now think about what we just heard from here this morning about the church and ministry and the body of Christ and serving. It's the same kind of structure, okay? We get our authority from the Bible. The Bible is the sole authority for all matters of faith and practice here at Burnfield Baptist Church. And we're Baptistic in our doctrine. We take that approach. But as the Bible delegates authority to the church, the church and the leadership then equips and delegates others with authority to be able to serve. For instance, we have officers that serve in our church, and they have roles that constitute authority to make decisions, 
on behalf of the church. We have directors of ministries that are vested with authority to be able to make decisions for that ministry of which they're in charge. And so I do see a biblical precedent here, at least in following a pattern. But Jesus is giving these a special kind of authority because they're apostles and their, their ministry, their office must be validated and verified as from God. So they're going to receive some special things from the Lord to do the work that he's called them to do. These 12 he sent forth and commanded them. This is what he says. Hold on now. Hold. This is interesting. You know, as a church, when we're equipping you to do the Great Commission, we're telling you, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, 15. Hold on, hit the brakes. We're not there yet in the ministry of the Savior. He has not gone to Calvary. He has not been crucified. He has not died. He has not been buried for three days in the heart of the earth. He has not risen from the dead yet at this time. And he has not ascended into heaven. And so right now, in this point in his ministry, he instructs them. There's a, there's a, a very limited purview for your ministry. You're going to be sent out and you're going to be sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Oh, there's so much here that we've got to unpack. So much here. Can I just say what a gracious God we serve? He is a God of second chances, third chances, millionth chances. If you're still breathing, you've got a chance with God. Amen. And Jesus sends them out and says, before we go anywhere else, let's give them one more chance. Let's give it one more go and see if Israel can't come around to accept and acknowledge what God is doing in their midst. And he says, go to the lost sheep. Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, Gentiles off limits, Samaritans off limits right now. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, he says, all right, you're going to Israel, the lost sheep of the, of the house of Israel. As you're going, here's your message. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that I don't have to rely on my wits and my in ingenuity and my... <coughs> smarts and my brains and my, I mean, I don't have much anyway. So I am so thankful that when Jesus sends us forth, he gives us a message. You're wondering, well, what is that message? It's here. And all the authority, I, I mean, I've, I've read the stories. I don't know if I believe them yet because I haven't personally ran into anybody that said this, but I've read the stories and all the preaching books, you know, that you read about preaching and everything. Inevitably, you talk about that pastor who is just at his wit's end, pulling his hair out. Now, I will say this. I can relate, okay? There are certain times when topical messages come up that I'm, I'm praying and I'm getting alone with God and my prayer life's getting real good because I got to figure out, Lord, what do you want me to tell these people? It's so much easier to have a book of the Bible to go to and know where you're going next and be able to plot that out and be able to exposit it that way and just know where you're going because you have 
66 books here, and I'll never exhaust all that's here in my lifetime. I think it was old W.A. Criswell. He preached through the whole Bible uh, in how many ever decades it took him. When he got through Revelation, he went back to Genesis to start all over again. <laughs> and I, I don't remember how far he made it through the second time, but hey, we've got plenty of material right here. God has given us, as his church, the message that we need to send. It's the Bible, the blessed old Bible. I love this book. People call it antiquated and outdated. Now, that's more of today than tomorrow's newspaper, friend. And this is what we build our life and our faith on. It's not antiquated. We just need to understand it better. And there's so many things here to help us. Now, he sends them out and he says, here's who you're going to. Not going to the Gentiles, not to the Samaritans. Okay, when you go to Israel, here is your message. I think I've heard this message before. Have you? I think I heard this message back on the banks of Jordan. When there was a man that, you know, what went you out to see? A reed shaken with the wind and tossed. There was a man out there, his clothing was rather strange. His diet was, well, probably not, you know, what we would think of as a scrumptious diet. Camel's hair, <laughs> locusts and wild honey. This is the little carobs. I learned that when I was over there. The carobs grow on the trees, and that's what he was eating. Not, not really grasshoppers, I don't think. I mean, it was those carobs that grew on those trees, and that was his diet. What was his message? He went to Israel, and he was the one that would prepare the way. As the Old Testament closed, Israel was told to look for the one that would prepare the way. And when he came on the scene, his message was, Again, to Israel, you got to turn around. You've got to change your mind. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All that was prophesied in the Old Testament is about to be here. Turn around. Get away from your idolatry. Leave behind your self-righteousness. Fall before the God of heaven and get right with him. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Oh, if we could have just gone back and seen, if they would have just received this message, how different would things have been? I don't know. I mean, my glorified imagination goes 90 ways to nothing. And I, I, just, I just would be amazed to think about how God would order everything had they said yes. The fact of the matter remains, and the records show they refused. And in stiff-necked, hard-heartedness, they killed God manifest in the flesh, who was reaching out to them in grace and mercy. He sends them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he says, here's your message, a message that should sound familiar. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's their message. And he tells them, here's how you're going to validate that message. All of this has Old Testament precedent, by the way, because Isaiah tells us how the gospel, the good news, will unfold. It's listed right here for you. He says, here's how you validate that message. Heal the sick. If that doesn't get them to listen to you, cleanse the lepers. If that still doesn't cause their ears to open, raise the dead. I'm thinking of a man in Luke chapter number 16 
that was concerned about his brothers. He had died and gone to hell, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. His concern was, Lord, if you just send Lazarus back from the dead, they'll believe him. The answer to that man, that rich man, was they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe, even if somebody comes back from the... So he says, raise the dead. Cast out devils. I love this phrase. Fellas, you got a job to do. It's spiritual warfare. You're going to Israel. They're going to get one more chance. Here's the message. The kingdom is here. It's at hand. It is upon us. Here's the signs. If you're going, you're going to validate that message. Do all these things. It's not going to cost you a thing. You don't have to buy it. You know, some were confused about that. We have record of it in the book of Acts. You know, that man that was in the gall of bitterness that Peter, Peter said? He thought he could buy to get to the Holy Ghost? How many people do they think that you can purchase the power of God? God help us. No, it comes from on high. It's from Jesus himself. And he gives it to whomsoever he will. And that's his job. And it's his, it's his to do. He says it's not going to cost you anything. But you better, better take note. Freely give. This isn't just for you. You haven't received so that you can sit on it. And build your big empire. No. Freely you have received, freely give. Now this is why I said as we begin, you have to be careful with this passage because if you rest it out of context, well, you're in the wrong church. <laughs> you need to go find a Pentecostal church or you know, a more charismatic church where they'll let you try to do all this stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just questioning the spiritual power behind it. Okay. I believe in divine healing. I believe in the gift of tongues. But I also believe that the New Testament teaches they were given as a sign. And that there would come a time when, as the language unfolds and you study it out, these gifts would cease. Tongues in, in particular would cease in and of themselves because the sign fulfilled its purpose. So do I believe that people could speak in biblical tongues? Yes. But have I seen that today? No. I don't see any record of it since... Really, this maybe the late first century, early second century, and then it just kind of dissipates any record of it that we have. Oh, until about you know the eighteen hundreds, when for suddenly all of a sudden you know, the church missed it for the past you know fifteen hundred plus years, and now all of a sudden, woo, we found it again, hallelujah. Well, I digress. Let's get back on target here. As he sends them out, do you notice what he's doing? He's giving them instruction. And you you were very kind to put up with us this morning with my instructions to you and Brother Mike's instructions to you. And you'll get more instructions from Pastor Larson next week. And as we unfold things, you're going to receive instructions. That's our attempt, our feeble attempt, as best as we can to help you understand what lies ahead of you if you endeavor to serve God and get involved in ministry here at Brunswick Baptist Church. As Jesus sends his disciples out, whom he has now named apostles, he is going to instruct them as to how they are to fulfill their ministry. If you want to be a Sunday school teacher, we're going to instruct you. 
I can't do it for you, but I can at least teach you and equip you. And our plan is, by the time you are ready to kick off your class, you've gone through Sunday school teacher training, which I've given that before, and we're going to do that again. You've gone through some Christian education clinics. It's our, it's our goal to instruct you on what to expect on, you know, when the kids interrupt class and disrupt class, how do you deal with bad behavior and all of that stuff. And you're going to need to know how to do that if you're a teacher. You're going to have to be able to love them to Jesus, not beat your Bible over their head, because it's going to drive them away from Christianity, which is why... We have a lot of problems in our church today. In our churches, I should say, not this one. But uh, you understand my heart on that, don't you? I, I know I can be misunderstood, but the work is to be only to the house of Israel. The message is the gospel of the kingdom, and they're going to perform miracles to authenticate their message. So my question to you would be, as you serve the Lord, how are you going to authenticate your message? Because this is different. You're not going to receive healing powers. I mean, you can pray and God will heal. I'm not, I'm not negating that. But you're not going to have power like the apostles had to cast demons out. Now, you can pray, and if God sends that evil spirit out, praise him. He can do that. Um, you might even pray and see somebody come back from life from the dead. I'm not questioning any of that, but I'm just saying there's a difference between the apostolic authority they had. We could share stories, couldn't we? Maybe by a hospital bed or... And there are miracles that happen all around us. And every one of them need to be attributed to God's power. But this was different. This wasn't, you know, okay, if it works out and God does it, praise be to him. If he doesn't, well, then he doesn't. No, this was, they're going to do it. There was one case that they couldn't. And they wondered why. And it's because they didn't fast. Remember that? Apart from that, these guys were going forward. I mean, they, they were clearing out the hospitals. They were, they were clearing out the, the alms people by the waysides. They were just, I mean, people were, can you imagine what that would have been like? <laughs> There's a song that, that talks about how that would have looked like. You know, go ask a blind man. He saw it all. Maybe you've heard that. That's a good one. Anyway, authenticate their message. Their work, as they go forward, their work was to be supported by the hearers, which would be indicative of the hearers of faith. So if you read verse down through verse 8, you see what they're going to do in their ministry. Verse number nine, he talks about how they're going to receive provision. As you serve the Lord, hey, God's going to provide. He always does, amen? And he's provided abundantly for us. We're blessed. It's going to be supported by the hearers, and it would indicate their faith that they've received the message. Verses, um, verses nine through 15 show us that. He says, this time you go out, don't take any gold with you, don't worry about money, don't take scripts for your journey. Don't, you know, you don't worry about your coats. Don't worry about your shoes. Don't worry about your staffs, your staves, all of that. He says, the workman is worthy of his meat. As you go, your needs are going to be met. Just go. Don't worry about all this stuff. Just go. Now, later on, he's going to send them out again, and he's going to tell them, hey, if you don't have a sword, you better go sell something and get one. Again, keep it in context. I believe in our Second Amendment, by, by the way. I am an American citizen, and uh, I love this country, and I believe in upholding the Second Amendment. I believe Jesus would back that as well. But they would have support. Verses 9 through 15 show us that. Verse 15, verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Which city? 
the city that his disciples go to, and then they determine whether the message is going to be received or not. Interesting. He says, if they don't receive you and they're not worthy of that message, dust off your feet and move on. Interesting. You know, cities at the bottom of lakes. Anyway, I think I've talked about that before. We won't belabor that. The work, though, is going to be perilous. Now, so much as I was reading through this over and over and over, you know, that's what I do. I read and read and read and read and read. I kept going back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Over and over again, I went back there. The persecution is real. Remember, he told them that they would be persecuted if they followed him. But they should rejoice back in the Sermon on the Mount because they were counted worthy for that. He tells them, hey, look, fellas, you're going to have some peril along the way. I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Does that bring back any bells from the Sermon on the Mount? It sure did for me. You're going out and you're the prey. You're going to be hunted. There are predators. You're sheep among wolves. You're at their power. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep, wolves, serpents, doves. What image of object lessons right there. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. That's how we go forward. Then he says this, but beware of men. Can I reiterate that? Watch out. Why? Why do I need to be aware of them? For they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogue. Notice it's their synagogues. That's interesting. Their synagogues. You shall be brought before governors and kings. Here's your catchphrase. For my sake. For my sake. It's for Jesus. They will suffer persecution. For a testimony against them. And also for the Gentiles. Oh, he's already laying out the path ahead. You see that? As it unfolds, hindsight's always 2020. <clears throat> and we look back and we see how it all worked, and it's exactly like Jesus said it would be. No surprise there. And so don't get confused here. Because we misunderstand chronology, particularly of the Old Testament. Jesus, I believe here, is looking beyond his death, and he is looking even as far as to the tribulation in some ways. That time of Jacob's trouble. The, the narrow road. Does that remind anyone of the Sermon on the Mount? The, the constricted path, the narrow path that leads to the kingdom that path, that road goes through persecution. It goes through tribulation. It goes through the time of Jacob's trouble. And I'm not sure that the disciples really understood by this point. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced they didn't understand that Jesus was going to have to die and be raised again. They don't have all of that put together like we can. And so when he dies, they're scattered like sheep. 
because their shepherd was smitten, according to Zechariah. And they're, they're at their wit's end. Peter says, I don't know what else to do. I'm going back fishing. But Jesus didn't stay dead. You see, they, they, they can't get it all right now. But Jesus has it all down. And he's telling them ahead of time so that when it happens, they'll know what to expect. Go into the kingdom. It's going to be by the way of persecution. I mean, even if Israel had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, would that mean that he could skip the cross? That's where you shake your head no. Because it was part of the plan of redemption. He had to die for the sins of mankind. So even if they had said yes to him, that he is God's Messiah, do you understand he still would have died for you? He still would have died for me. That, that, that's just more than I can take in. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. But how different could it have been for Israel if they would have just received it? I mean, hey, all we read about in Revelation, you know, that 144,000 and all of that that had to happen, they could have, they could have seen so much happen. But they adamantly said no. The tribulation, okay, it, Jesus, he would have had to die still. He would have had to be resurrected still. The tribulation would still have to come. Even if they said yes, the tribulation would still have to come. Jesus would have to come back for his millennial reign. And so the details would have been tweaked just a little bit if they would have said yes. But the rest of all that still had to happen still has to occur. Hopefully you're still with me. Let me give you four phases of the Messiah's work. Here's his work that he would come to do. When the Messiah would come, he would live, he would suffer, he would die, he would rise again. That's the suffering servant prophesied in the Old Testament. There would be trouble, according to Daniel. There has to be a 70th week of Daniel. You can't escape that. You can't get around it. The world has to be judged and the purging has to happen. He would return then. The third prong of that is he would return to the earth and judge the earth. That's the work of the Messiah, third part of it. The fourth part of it is when he would fully and finally establish his kingdom. The danger they'll face, persecution, verses 16 and 18. The promise that he gives them. The promise is they're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. Verses 19 and 20, he tells them. Don't worry about what you're going to say. It'll be given you. The Holy Spirit will empower you. You'll know exactly what to say when the time comes. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you're going to take. Don't worry about what you're going to say. You've got the message. Just go. You have the power and the authority. The promise is the Holy Spirit. And then verses 21 to 23 is trips some people up. The brother that shall, and the brother shall deliver up brother to death. The father, the child, the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my, for my name's sake. And it's this phrase that people tend to stumble over. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. And the Calvinist takes that and says, oh, see, there's the doctrine of perseverance. Well, you don't read too much into that. Don't force your theology on the passage. Let your theology come from it. What's the context? What's Jesus talking about? Saved from what? What is salvation? We have a lot of questions to answer there. I don't have time to do it this morning with you. The end, however, let me just summarize it this way for you. The end is going to be, I believe, the end of the tribulation period. And then 
This would end, and then the sun would come. So here, here's a final thought. I have more that I can give you, but I won't belabor. Let me just give you this final thought, and we'll be done for now. If the Jewish people, if Israel, had accepted Jesus Christ, then what we're saying through this is that, is that the 12 apostles, they would have taken that message throughout the world. Do, do you see how this works out in the larger purview of what we know about eschatology and scripture? The 12 apostles would have taken that message out throughout the world. When Jesus Christ, when his death was upon them, they would have taken that message, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And as soon as that was done, Jesus Christ would have come back and the disciples, well, according to Revelation, they would have been martyred. Which, by the way, isn't too far off from what happened anyway. If you don't have a copy of John Fox's book, go get one and read it. Now, it's, it's outside of Bible, okay, I understand that. It's, you have to read it with a grain of salt, but they went through some difficulties. But see, they would have been martyred. Then the tribulation would have come after their martyrdom, the 144,000, that's in Revelation, they would have been preaching the kingdom just like the apostles were. If they had only said Yes, Lord. But now we have is what Paul said, that mystery. And the Gentiles, because of Israel's rejection, the Gentiles have been grafted in. And you and I, 2,000 plus years later, passing that baton on. And what God's done for us as Gentiles ought to make the Jewish people so jealous of what God's doing to where they would want to come to him and run to him and flee to him. Many have. And they've been, they've been cut off by their families because they've received Jesus. And we have work to do. The best is yet to come. But that narrow way goes through persecution. So by all means, come and serve the Lord. Let's serve Jesus. I mean, what else are you going to do? This world's falling apart. Go build your kingdom and watch it crumble. But come and join us and let's yoke up with Jesus and let's heed his invitation and let's build his kingdom. That'll last forever. Let's lay up treasure in heaven all the while looking at how good God is to us along the way so much better than we deserve. Our mission today, our great commission, it does look different than what was given the apostles here in Matthew 10, but we still have a commission to fulfill. And we still have the enablement and the power of the Holy Spirit in us to help us accomplish that to which Jesus would send us. There is a coming judgment on this earth. The Bible is clear about that. And this world is blind to it. And they think that they can ignore the Bible and stick their head in the sand and pretend like it's an old fuddy-duddy book. But I'm telling you, the fire's going to fall someday. And we have a message of hope and salvation to take to a lost and dying world. And anyone who receives Christ can have their sins forgiven, buried, 
and stand before a righteous God in the holiness and righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful I took that invitation and I accepted him as my Savior. I'm not worried about whether I'm in trouble with God anymore except for when he has to spank me and then I get right with him and we're all good. But I don't have to worry about hell anymore. I don't have to worry about eternal punishment. My soul is safe. Is yours? Won't you come to Jesus and let him use you to help others find him?